Abraham Lincoln warned that the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Would you like to know what's being taught in today's classrooms? Welcome to Say What? with attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. They'll explore the issues facing children, parents, and society as a result of the public schools and the forces behind them. Say What? is the radio program of Protect Our Kids, which seeks to inform and equip concerned citizens about the looming crisis in American education. So listen in as your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr., unpack the issues and organizations affecting our children. And now here's your hosts, Mark Schneider and George Roska Jr. Hello everyone, I'm George Roska. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to episode number 20 of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including how the trifecta within the education ecosystem is working against our children's interests and parental rights. That's right, George. Every citizen needs to understand what comprises the trifecta of the education ecosystem in the USA, which includes government, unions, and the nonprofits. And today we're going to focus on the role specifically of the government, starting with the federal Department of Education. George, you've looked into this, so maybe you can uh, give us a little bit of background on how big that department is in terms of education. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you've covered in the past how public school you know, education came about in America and how it evolved um, and how really education was privatized from the beginning. That's right. Um, but you know, in the Constitution, the federal government leaves everything to the states uh, that is not granted to it. But interestingly enough, you know, 200 years after we were founded, uh, we thought we needed such a department. Um, and it was created in 1980. It currently employs 4,400 people. A lot of people working it's against amazing. parents. amazing. With a budget of $68 million, billion, $68 billion. And they basically oversee federal grants and the funding formula uh, from the federal government that goes into schools under Title Nine, Title Ten. Yep. Yeah. The, the thing about government agencies, of course, as everybody knows, um, who's lived in this country for very long, is that they never shrink in size. You know, once they're established, they tend to grow uh, and unfortunately exponentially so. And that's the case with the Federal Department of Education. And I guess under the Obama administration, some particular things happened. Isn't that correct? Yes. And, and Mark, over the next two, three episodes, right, including this one, we're going to be talking about how this trifecta, government, unions, nonprofits are working together. It's, it's almost hard to find examples where they're not. Yeah, hand in glove. And so what you'll see here over and over is uh, – players moving from one side to the other Uh Uh, and then you'll see uh, reports that they are working on together Um, and so here is an example uh, under the obama administration the assistant deputy secretary for the office of safe and drug-free schools uh, also known as the safe school czar from 2009 to 2011 was none other than kevin jennings interesting 
and he created the nonprofit Gelson, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, which was the force behind the mid-90s and late-90s introduction of the Gay Straight Alliance student clubs on campuses. And today they've, they've renamed themselves because they can't say that anymore. Uh, under the woke terminology, now they have to call themselves the uh, Gender and Sexuality Alliances. <laughs> and they're everywhere. I mean, they're so prolific on, on both college and uh, high school campuses throughout the country. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, your point here is that there seems to be a revolving door between government institutions and third parties. And the other thing about Kevin Jennings is that under Gelson, while he was there in the late 90s, they did a conference where mass resistance got all of the documentation and video mm. where they were teaching young people the sexual act of fisting, which is absolutely ludicrous and crazy. So th these are the kind of people that have started to work in the Department of Education. It's unbelievable, and we can't even describe on the air here what fisting is, but uh, our audience can look it up. So that was the Obama administration. What, what about what's happened under the, the Biden administration? <clears throat> this has been very recent. This is very recent. This is as of three months ago uh, in June. The, the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights has issued a notice of interpretation, which has basically been triggered by the Bostock ruling. Mm. And just for, for memory for, for our audience, in, in the Bostock case, um, and actually uh, Judge Gorsuch, uh, who ostensibly was a conservative, issued the majority opinion in that case. And he defined the word sex mm. in Title IX of our civil rights laws to mean uh, sexual orientation and gender identity for purposes of discrimination, a seminal case. Now, Mark, didn't he also restrict the application of that ruling to, I believe, one or two parts? He made that very explicit, that this was not a sweeping decision, that it was specific to that particular case, you know, for hiring decisions. But as we know, uh, once these broad decisions are made, they never stay within the confines of their boundaries. They and, tend to creep out. And that's exactly what happened here. So the Biden administration's education department has taken advantage of that ruling and they're saying their interpretation of Title IX as it applies to education is that you cannot uh, discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity uh, based on Bostock. Yeah, there's a perfect example of what we're talking about. So this is the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, uh, you know, the, the, the same government entity that is expanding the rubric of its authority, which affects our school children in the public schools. Correct. So what's interesting is uh, under Obama, Obama made a very similar declaration, mm. um, but he had no justification for it. He, he just put it out there. But now the Biden administration is using the Bostock ruling for it, so they have a little bit more teeth behind it. Big surprise. 
So what about the uh, the State Department, State Department of Education? So we have federal departments and we have state departments of education. Correct. So it would be way too hard to cover all 50. So we're going to use, for example, California. Um, although most State Department of Education started somewhere uh, in the mid to late 1800s, um, I believe Massachusetts was one of the first ones uh, established. Uh, but in 1921, California's Department of Education was formed. Um, here, here are other billion-dollar figures. Um, for this fiscal year, they have $124.3 billion in their budget. This is just California. This is just California. Uh, it employs nearly 2,800 people and... Uh, this is as of 2018. I couldn't find more recent numbers on their website. And where things start to get interesting is at the federal level, you appoint people in the Department of Education. Well, at the state level, th- there are quite a bit of um, um, you know positions that you run for. There are political positions you run for office. One of them is the the state superintendent position. And in our last race uh, between uh, Tony Thurmond and uh, Torlakson uh, and, and Tom, Tom Huff or something like that, they spent between the two of them nearly $50 million. Yeah. And where is this money coming from? It's coming from, again, the unions and these nonprofits. Uh, that are coalescing uh, behind the scenes uh, to put in their favorite candidate. Again, sort of this internecine quality of people moving from one organization to another organization, from either federal government or state government to the unions and then back again. You know, they're, they're all the same people. It's all very well connected together. And George, to your point, there is very big money behind these groups. Huge. So, for example, um, when we talk about the teachers' union, uh, the teachers, the, the California teachers' union alone donated eight million dollars to the state superintendent race. Yeah, and that's just one race. That's just one race. And on top of that, you then have the national teachers' union and the California Federation of Teachers, which is a separate union. Uh, and then you have like the California School Nurses Union, the California um, like Superintendents Association, like all of those other smaller right. uh, unions that come behind. They put up um, decent amount of money, not in the millions because they're not as big, but still, when you add it all together, each one of those candidates got over $20 million. It's amazing. Yeah. And of course, once you establish an organization, whether at the federal or state level, you know, it, all of a sudden it has a mission and it has to implement that mission. And in the case of the uh, state departments of education, their role is to implement the law. Correct. I mean, the state legislature passes uh, the education code, and now it's the job of the state education department to implement the education codes that the legislature passes to establish standards and to write what you and I um, 
uh, fondly know as these frameworks, these massive uh, tomes that describe what is to be taught and how it's to be taught in the public schools, including things like comprehensive sexuality education. And the most recent one is ethnic studies, which is eight. Hundred pages long, and the mathematics one, too. and the mathematics one, which is kind of on hold now because of the controversy that um, the, that that it's garnered. Nevertheless, you know they they're spending their money generating these these massive uh, documents. Correct, and so when you see who the players are at the leadership levels in those organizations, and you see where the money's coming from to get them in power then you could tell what their agenda is. That's right. Yeah, there's the old um, adage by Lord Acton that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, that's true of any large organization. Uh, and we're not stopping there, are we, George? There's other uh, uh, government organizations, including county departments of education. Yep. So we've got federal, we've got state, and now we've got county departments of education. Maybe you can describe that for us. Yeah, so the, the county is an interesting uh, layer in, you know, as you, you drill down from the federal to the state to the county and then to the local. Uh, the, the local, as we'll get into it, is where a lot of the details happen. Mm-hmm. Yet the state is... It's impossible to govern a hundred, a thousand school districts in California. Uh, so that's where the counties step in, and the counties generally have two things: they provide support to the local school districts, um, either by you know clarification of what the state law means or what the state frameworks mean. They'll provide a lot of workshops uh, and things of that nature. Um, but really the biggest area where they fall in is they are a, um, a fiscal oversight agency. And uh, we happen to be in Orange County. And uh, interestingly enough, the Orange County Department of Education, um, it supports 27 different school districts, more than 600 schools, and 20,000 educators serving more than 500,000 students in Orange County. Now, this is one of the bigger counties in the state, granted, but it gives you the um, sort of a feel for the size and scope. It's got over a $5 billion budget and 1,300-plus employees. So this is not a small organization. It isn't, and each one of these We've already mentioned their budget in the billions, even as we're getting down closer to the local level. Yeah. It's a ridiculous amount. And what I want parents to understand by this is when you're talking billions of dollars with thousands of employees, we've generally heard the word swamp. (laughs) Yeah. That's what this is. How do you turn these ships around to come back and be realistic and demand parental rights and stop pushing these CSE, CRT, HR agendas that we've been uncovering. It is very challenging task ahead of us. Very challenging task. And a lot of these races, even at the county level, are highly contested, aren't they? I mean, a lot of money goes into the board of trustees for some of these these seats. Mark, I think one can argue that the one we're just going to talk about here in our own county was probably the most expensive county board race in U.S. That's what I understand. 
This is Area 3, right? Yes. So the incumbent Republican board member, Ken Williams, Jr., who was backed by the pro-charter school PACs and funded by the Walmart's family owners and businesses, Howard Amundsen, ran against the Democrat Andy Thorburn, who is a millionaire businessman who's backed by the teachers' unions and planned parenthood. They show up again all the time. <laughs> they do. All the time. The trifecta of unions, nonprofits, running for government positions. It's incredible, but fortunately, Ken won that race, so that was the good news. And this is good news that we want to share with parents, because I mentioned that there's billions of dollars and thousands of people working against us, yet parents at the poll won something that would have been considered impossible. That's right. Yeah. When parents, when concerned parents turn out and they turn out in numbers, good things tend to happen. And, you know, we, we've often cited this statistic, but I'll cite it again. Uh, George Barna has this famous uh, uh, thing that he talks about where only half of people of faith are registered to vote in any particular political cycle, and only half of those actually go to the polls. Which means that only 25% of people of faith, mostly evangelicals, are making their voice heard at the ballot box. So this is a good example of when they do turn out, good things actually happen. I mean, to me, that's a say what moment, Mark, about that statistic. It's so disheartening to see that people don't care. And I think we're starting to see a beginning of people... Waking up. The sleeping giant has awoken. Hopefully it has. Well, George, uh, just as we have organizations at county levels, we have local school districts as well, right? And they have their own infrastructure and uh, people that are running those. Maybe we can talk about those a little bit. This is a place where I really want to blow parents' minds because out of any political position out there in America, This is the one that has the most number of. Uh, When you add up all the mayors or all the city council members in in America, they still don't add up to the amount of what you have in school districts. Hmm. Um, So just in California alone. So in America, you have 14,000 school districts. In California, you have about a little over 1,000, of which you have 5,000 school board members in elected positions. So... These are the people that are making key decisions on what curricula to approve, what policies to adopt, uh, how do they uh, draft their local control and accountability plan, which this over the last decade has been kind of the new, uh, the new fad within school districts. It's the LCAP. Um, yes. And there is a public comment elements to the LCAP so parents within the school district and concerned citizens Mm. can provide input. Um, So when you get those emails from your uh, superintendent, you know, please click on that link and make your voice heard. That's right. uh, That's a place where we can make our voices heard, but that's also where all of this DEI stuff really comes into play because this is, think of the LCAP as the strategic plan for the school district and how they're going to educate. And so they interweave DEI in every one of those uh, aspects of education locally. 
And I don't think we can overemphasize how important these local school districts are. Just as all politics is local, really, George, all education is local. Uh, Even the Orange County Board of Education, their influence and control of what happens in the local school is very limited, actually. Um, It's the local school districts that make decisions on what curriculums are going to be taught. Now, certainly laws are passed and they have to teach these curriculums, but how they're taught and the specific curriculums that they choose to teach, that's under their local control. So as you know, George, whenever we can, we encourage parents to become activists and run for school board. That's the best way to change local education is by running for school board and making their voices heard. Most definitely. You know, when I got involved in this fight, Mark, in 2018, our school board at that time had a 5-2 majority in our favor. And with that, we were able to stop curricula like Teen Talk yes. from coming in. Uh, but 2020 came around and uh, parents didn't show up at the polls and it turned against us 4-3. to three. So what happens in 2021? After these new board members get uh, instated, they pass uh, a CSE curriculum of their choice. So all to say, parents, uh, find out about your local school board. And uh, if you have the time and inclination, please consider running. It's extremely important. But school boards are not the only government institutions, along with state organizations, county and federal there are some, there's some other fed organi- government organizations that weigh in here, too, aren't there? Correct. Particularly lately. And the most prominent one is the Centers for Disease, Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. Yeah. One thing that I've discovered is that the CDC has its tentacles everywhere. And just like where I think the American public has finally figured out during this pandemic what kind of powers the CDC has, Well, imagine that for the last, I don't know how many decades, the school system, federal, state, regional, local, they've been relying on the CDC as well for information. Yes. Um, Especially as it pertains to the medical side of things. Uh, And so how we go about dealing with the AIDS, you know, epidemic in in America. Well, the CDC weighed in heavily on that. with the whole CSE, the CDC has its own goals with regards to comprehensive sexuality education, which they published in 2016. So it seems like, and then when you look at the actors within the CDC and how they move around between the nonprofits and government organizations, uh-huh. uh, th- this is all like a smoke and mirrors game. They, they point fingers, well, we're relying on CDC data, and yet the CDC was part of the same report nationally that was done by CICUS and the Human Rights Campaign and and Planned Parenthood. So it's like a turnstile. Yeah, they're all together all the time showing up with their logos on reports all over the place. Including state and local health departments, right, along with the CDC. They're all involved in this as well. And with them, I started seeing them for the first time in my research on uh, the the CSE framework. There, the State Department of Education put together 20, um, a group of 20 reviewers to review that, and they were, they were considered the experts in this field. 
and most of them were either local school district representatives or local health department representatives. Very interesting, George. So what's, I mean, the obvious big message here, it seems to be, is that someone needs to guard the hen house, right? And we are still a government by, for the people. The people are in charge. But if the people don't get actively involved in understanding what these institutions are all about, what their responsibilities are, who they're accountable for, then they're going to run open loop. They're going to continue to do what they want to do, impacting our children in the public school system. And to me, this is a big conflict of interest fiasco. And I'm urging parents and concerned citizens who might be working within these one of these three areas, nonprofits, uh, the unions, or the, in, in government, uh, to, to please point this out use the conflict of interest argument in our favor to start creating some separation because right now there's no separation it's a just blurry grade lines between all of these three so george that's unfortunately all the time we have for today but this is going to be an ongoing topic for us next week we're going to be talking about um, the unions and nonprofits and how they play into this milu uh, so we encourage our listeners to tune in next week but until then uh, george and i want to uh say uh, please come back we've enjoyed having you and until next week Uh, We'll see you again. Take care. You've been listening to Say What? The radio ministry of Protect Our Kids, where they seek to inform and equip concerned citizens about the crisis in American public education and the forces working against our children. Join us at this same time every Saturday as attorney Mark Schneider and Pastor George Roska Jr. unpack the issues so that we can better safeguard our nation's children. For more information about this program or Protect Our Kids, email the show at info at protectourkidsnow.org. That's info at protectourkidsnow.org. And join Mark and George right here next week at this same time for another episode of Say What?